one of the sharpest controversies that existed between the Pharisees and the Sadducees had to do with the proper observance of the Sabbath. The Pharisees had developed a very detailed tradition as to how the Sabbath was to be observed. They had made many rules governing what was the appropriate and inappropriate activity and behaviors to be exhibited on the Sabbath day. At the center of this controversy was the obtaining of Sabbath rest. The word rest, excuse me, the word Sabbath does mean rest. So the question is, what constituted rest on the Sabbath day? When was one no longer resting, but engaging in work? Jesus denounced the tradition of the Pharisees, and that was at heart of the animosity that the Pharisees had towards Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, it says the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. They wanted to kill him. They were so angered by Jesus, and in particularly what he had to say about the Sabbath and what he did on the Sabbath. So as you read this passage, in one sense, this controversy is somewhat irrelevant to us. We no longer observe the Sabbath day. The New Testament makes it absolutely clear that the Sabbath has been abrogated. I'll just read one passage, Colossians 2, 13 and following. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This passage teaches us that noon moons, feasts, and Sabbath days were a foreshadowing of what was to come. They were to lead us to an understanding of what was to be ours in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ replaces the Sabbath rest. He said, all of you who labor and are heaven laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is going to give us rest. Jesus Christ is the replacement of the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, and the Sabbath day. All having been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we no longer celebrate the Sabbath. We have come today, not on Saturday, but we are here on Sunday. And we are observing not the Sabbath, we are observing the Lord's Day. 
We celebrate the Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't end debate. Now the debate exists over what is the central element of the Lord's Day. In Sabbath, the central element was primarily rest associated with worship. In the Lord's Day, the primary emphasis is worship in association with rest. But what relationship is there between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day? In Reformed circles, there is a phrase that is common, and that is that Sunday is a continuation of the Sabbath day principle, meaning that the principle of rest should be carried over to the observance of the Lord's day. That has resulted in a measure of controversy of its own and has resulted in many different understandings then back to the same controversy of the Sabbath day as to what's appropriate activity on the Lord's day. How should we spend the Lord's day? What is acceptable? What is unacceptable? That has resulted, as I say, in a controversy of its own. Annual conference. Just spent a few years on this very subject. That is the relationship of the Lord's day to the Sabbath day. And in particular, what about this Sabbath day principle? Annual conference came to the conclusion that it is invalid to speak of a Sabbath day principle in association with the Lord's day. But the controversy goes on. So we're going to seek this morning to ascertain some lessons from the controversy over the Sabbath and apply them to the controversy over the Lord's Day. And hopefully that it will be helpful and meaningful to us as we try to understand uh, all that is to be uh, gleaned from the celebration of the Sabbath day. The context of the controversy is Jesus' invitation to come to him and find rest. Notice Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time. At that time. The scriptures want us to put together the events that just occurred with the events that follow. We are not to think of a totally new, unrelated topic but we're to see the events in association with what Jesus had just said. What Jesus had just said is found to us in chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, My burden is light. He has just invited all peoples 
to come unto him and to find rest for their souls. Upon that invitation, now comes this controversy over the Sabbath day and the experiencing of rest. So we're to see that there is some coordination, there is, there is something in common between Jesus' offering rest to the controversy of the rest of Sabbath day. So let's look at this controversy, and at the end we'll draw some principles and lessons from it. First, the Sabbath day controversy. The first incident. The Pharisees find fault with the disciples and accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. There is in this text two specific incidents regarding the Sabbath day. The first, the disciples are accused of breaking the Sabbath. Notice Matthew 12, 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So what were they doing that was unlawful? The first thing I want you to see is they were not stealing. They were not doing anything inappropriate when it says that they went through this standing field of grain, plucking heads off the grains and eating them. Listen to Deuteronomy 23:25. Clearly states, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So in other words, you can't go into your neighbor's crop and begin to harvest it. That would be stealing. But you can walk through your neighbor's field And if you are hungry, you may take a few pieces of grain and pop them in your mouth. Draw me 23, 25. That is acceptable. That's exactly what they did. No issues of stealing. No issues of inappropriate use of another person's field or property. Nothing of that sort. It's all about the Sabbath day. Notice verse 3. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. In other words, they acknowledged it would have been okay for the disciples to have done this on any other day. The problem is, they did it on the Sabbath day. That's the problem. And they said... It was unlawful. They were breaking God's law. God's law prohibited working on the Sabbath day. So they equated what the disciples were doing with work. 
I'm not going to now go into a long discussion of the Torah and how all of that, that works. I think that is enough to understand the context. Jesus challenges the Pharisees' understanding of the law by referring to two incidences recorded in the scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 3. He said to them, Have you not read? And then again in verse 5. Or have you not read? The issue is what is lawful and what is unlawful. So Jesus ignores their tradition. He ignores what the rabbis have said. He he ignores the whole host of laws that they have established. And instead of appealing to their tradition, he appeals to the scripture. Because their tradition and the scriptures are at odds. What they teach and what the scriptures say are different from each other. And Jesus is going to hold them not to their tradition, but to the scriptures. So he uses two examples. The first is the incident dealing with eating. Given to us in Matthew chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple... Uh, excuse me. Uh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 12, um, Verse 3, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Here the issue is not the Sabbath day, but the issue is that of David and his men doing only what the priests could do. They entered God's house and they ate the bread of the presence. Why did they get away with that? Why were they able to do that? First, they were hungry. And second, because David was anointed to be king. And they were with him. And because they were with the king, they were enabled to do what would have otherwise been unlawful. Jesus is saying, they're with me. I'm the king. But it goes on from there in a much more profound and demonstrable way. For he then takes them to verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? To profane is to make a ritual unacceptable. The priests on the Sabbath day 
are doing what is normally unacceptable. You say, well, how is that? The answer is the priests were working on the Sabbath day. At at the heart of the Sabbath day is you shall not work. The priests were working. And the priests worked hard on the Sabbath day. Showbread had to be baked. Fires had to be made. They had to be stoked. Animals had to be slain. Had to be sacrificed. Priests, Priests would have been sweaty. Priests would have been tired. Priests would have been grungy. Priests worked hard on the Sabbath day. And, it says, they're guiltless. They're guiltless. There is to be no blame associated with them. We're not to look at the priests and say, why, you wicked priests, look what you do on the Sabbath day. No, we're to recognize that it is totally appropriate for them. Why? Because they are serving God, not man. They are involved in temple worship and service. Now, Jesus says something quite astonishing. Verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Referring to himself. Something greater than the temple is here. If the priests are able to labor on the Sabbath day in order to serve the temple, how much more are these men free to labor on the Sabbath day in order to serve me. What is interesting is that Jesus doesn't nitpick over what work is, but rather goes to the heart of the matter and says, but they're free from this. They are free from that connotation of what the Sabbath day is all about. Jesus makes three points. First, serving Jesus is more important than serving the temple. That covers both incidents, David and the priests. The disciples are serving him, and we are to serve Jesus Christ. Secondly, The second point Jesus makes is that it was in fact the Pharisees that had broken the law, not his disciples. They had broken the law by condemning those by the law who were in fact innocent under the law. Notice verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not, key word, lawful. Lawful. They accused 
the disciples of breaking God's law. They did not accuse the disciples of breaking the Pharisees' tradition. The Pharisees elevated their tradition to the status of the law. They elevated their man-made rules to the same status as the authoritative word of God. That was a problem. That was an error. That was wrong. Equating their tradition with the scriptures. Of course, we always have to be on guard in equating man-made rules with the scripture and elevating man-made rules to the status of scripture and getting to the place when we break a man-made rule saying we violated God's law and have sinned, uh, that's, that's a problem. Further, their tradition did not reflect an adequate understanding of the law. Verse 7. And if you had known what this means, now think about that for a moment. If you would have known what this means, Jesus says, you're wrong. If you would have understood the scriptures, you would have applied them in a proper way. You didn't get it. You didn't understand it. Your tradition is wrong. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. If you would have understood that essential element of the Lord's de- of the Sabbath, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. This is a quotation of Hosea 6.6. 6. Jesus already quoted it in Matthew chapter 9. They had missed the spirit of the law. In a parallel passage, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, it says this, He was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now listen to that. That's essential. Sabbath served man. Man doesn't serve the Sabbath. They had gotten that backwards. So many times it is. You know, we can lose sight. Even in uh, what goes on in the life of the church. I'll hear people that will be upset if they plan an activity and not everybody comes. Well, the activity is to benefit people. And if it's a difficulty or hardship for the people to be there... That's not why you did it. It's not to create an obligation. It's to create an opportunity, a privilege. People don't serve the activity. The activity serves the people. Here, the Sabbath serves man. Man does not serve the Sabbath. It was made not to be a burden. It was made to release a burden. It was made to give people rest. 
And the Pharisees were just adding to their burden. That's why Jesus said earlier, take upon me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The third point that Jesus makes is that he alone has authority over the Sabbath. Look at verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He rules the Sabbath day. Jesus is saying, all authority belongs to me. It was Jesus' domain to render guilt and innocence, innocence concerning the Sabbath. Back in verse 1, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look what your disciples are doing. They're holding Jesus accountable for the actions of his disciples. Look! They're your disciples. They're following you and your example. Now, what are you going to do about it? They expected Jesus to rebuke them. They expected Jesus to say, stop eating. They expected Jesus to get on board. Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I make the determination as to what is lawful and unlawful on the Sabbath day. Not you. They were out of line. They took upon themselves too much in condemning the disciples. And they were wrong in the condemnation to boot. For the disciples were guiltless. The second Sabbath controversy stems from the Pharisees looking for an occasion to find fault with Jesus. Matthew 12, 9 and 10. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, these are these same Pharisees, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. They were looking to find fault with Jesus. They weren't sincere. They knew what he was going to say. Because he'd healed on the Sabbath. It was quite obvious what Jesus thought about healing on the Sabbath. Just read through the previous chapters. Jesus had been healing on the Sabbath all all along. This is not the first incidence that this occurs. So they ask him publicly, so they have reason to accuse him. Is it lawful to own the Sabbath? They said that's doing work. That's wrong. Jesus responds and reasons from the idea that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Verse 11. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. That was permitted. Then he extrapolates from that, verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus then does good, verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. Now notice the response of the Pharisees. 
Verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. These Pharisees, who presented themselves as being very, very concerned that the Sabbath day would be adhered to, venerated, not broken, held in high regard by all, were in fact themselves the defiler of the Sabbath. That's what they hated about this. Not only did Jesus do what they were teaching you couldn't do, but Jesus was actually saying that they were the problem and that they were wrong. Haven't you not read? Don't you understand what the scriptures teach? And now he is going to reveal the fact that they themselves had broken the Sabbath day. For the question is, as Jesus puts forth, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 12, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. That's what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath day. You're supposed to do good. What were these Pharisees doing on the Sabbath day? First, trying to find an accusation to bring against Jesus. Is that what the Sabbath day is about? Is that what God intended for the Sabbath day? For people to lie in trickery? To create false questions? To be asked of religious leaders so they can catch them in their sin and find an accusation to to, uh, bring against them? Is that what the Sabbath is about? Is the Sabbath really about verse 14? The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Is that how you're supposed to spend the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day? Are you supposed to go out of the synagogue and scheme and try to find ways to murder other people? Is that what the Sabbath is about? They were hiding behind all these other issues that had nothing to do with the real significance of the Sabbath day. That's what Jesus was driving home to these Pharisees. So often it is that our interpretations of the Scripture can miss the boat on what was really intended by the scriptures. So let's talk about some of the applications of these ideas. Lessons to be learned from the Sabbath day controversy and applied to our celebration of the Lord's Day. First, absolutely fundamental and important. We don't observe the Sabbath day. We celebrate the Lord's Day. Let me say that again. We don't observe the Sabbath day. 
This isn't the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. This is the Sunday. This is Sunday. We don't observe the Sabbath day. We celebrate the Lord's day. This passage in observing the Lord's day. First, there is a problem of equating man-made rules of do's and don'ts with the scripture. Of establishing rules of conduct And then saying, if you break this rule of conduct, you have violated the scriptures. That's problematic in any area on any subject. Our tradition should never rise to the level of scripture. The scripture alone is authoritative for life and conduct. Secondly, there is the danger of feeling morally superior in obeying man-made rules and then comparing ourselves with those that don't. The Pharisees viewed themselves as morally superior to the disciples because the disciples were breaking their rules. When in actuality, they should have viewed themselves as morally inferior because their rules were breaking the scripture. But that's not how it worked. Thirdly, The danger of passing judgment as to how the Lord's day is to be observed, which judgment is to be reserved for Jesus alone. Those are at a pretty surfacey level. It doesn't take much thought to get there. But that doesn't get to the core of the issue. So let's talk about the core of the issue. The core, the center of the Lord's day What is it about? Answer, worship. Worship. And so, we've gathered together today to worship. What is the core or center of worship? It's Jesus Christ. We've come to worship him as the Lord, as the King, Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Lord's Day. And in worshiping him, we find rest. In worshiping Jesus, we find rest. Come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus himself is the replacement of Sabbath rest. Our rest is in him. Now you take that and you unpack that for a moment. And you begin to realize that if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap as the Pharisees and make worship ritualistic. Making worship an external aspect. 
making worship about what we do or don't do. So, we celebrate the Lord's Day correctly when we have come to worship, when we have come to church. We do better if we come to church in Sunday school. We do still better if we come to church, Sunday school, and evening service. I'm all about coming to Sunday school, morning church, and evening service. But it can be very ritualistic. It can be prompted by nothing more than tradition and duty. And if the, the only reason you are here this morning is because you felt obligated, you haven't worshipped. And if the only reason you are here this morning is because that's your habit, you've been carried to church from the time that you're an infant, and so you feel funny about not being here on a Sunday, that's not worship. And that's not acceptable. And God doesn't sit in heaven and applaud you and say, well, at least they came to church. That's a pharisaical understanding of the Lord's Day. If we are here and we have worshipped, then we have celebrated the Lord's Day. How do I know if I have worshipped on the Lord's Day? One way, not the only way, not the exhaustive way, but one way is have I experienced rest? For we find out that rest is more than a cessation from labor. One can stop working and still not be rested. Even physical tiredness. Let me ask you, have you ever gone to bed exhausted? Had eight hours of sleep and you woke up in the morning and you're still tired? Tiredness is more than physical exhaustion. There is emotional tiredness. Just a weariness from all the stress, all the anxiety, big decisions, financial problems, worry. You're tired emotionally, you're afraid. There's a a spiritual tiredness, an apathy, an indifference. Experience rest. To be refreshed heart, soul, and mind. So, lesson number one. It's not just about cessation of labor. You may have gotten the wrong impression when I talked about coming to morning church and Sunday school and evening service as though I don't think that's important. I think it is important. 
Because it's not just cessation from labor. It's not just about getting away. It's not just about taking a break. Going camping, going to Disney World, is not the same as worshiping Jesus Christ. People want rest. That's not the kind of rest that ultimately you need, and that's not the kind of rest that Jesus is offering when he says, come unto me. It's not get a plane ticket to Disney World. What am I coming to experience? What is this rest all about? There is a rest that comes in true worship of God. So in our worship, we need to make coming to Jesus a priority. A priority. It's really about, come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If, if we are involved in tradition, and if we are involved in duty and obligation, I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you that coming to church won't be restful. It will be one more duty and one more obligation. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and put on a jacket and say, you know, we really don't feel like going to church today? I don't feel like being there. I'm tired. Did you ever come to a Sunday night and said, you know, it's been a long day, it's been a hard week, I'm tired, I don't feel like going to church tonight? That's ritual, that's duty, that's obligation. That's not rest. When we come to worship, not because we have to, not because we're worried about what somebody else is going to think if I'm not here, not because I was carried here all my life, not because there is some duty hanging over me, but when I come because I want to meet with Jesus, I want to hear from his word. I want him to minister to my soul. I want him to remove my fear and doubt and anxiety. I want him to heal my relationships that have been causing me so much hurt and anger and bitterness. I want him to take away the apathy of my soul in which I'm so tired and frustrated and miserable. When we come with the heart that says, only Jesus can give me rest. And I'm here because I so desperately need that rest. Then, I'm going to be less focused on rest and relaxation 
and more on the true worship of Jesus Christ. Then we're here for the right reasons. And then we will find rest for our souls. And we will find Jesus to be all-sufficient. This is a lesson on not celebrating out of a a ritualistic manner, but in true worship. The Lord's Day is to be a time of expressing appreciation for all that the Lord has done for us through sincere worship. So it involves recognizing our dependence upon him through prayer. Why do we pray? Because we're dependent upon him. We need his help. We need his strength. We want to express our appreciation, gratitude to him. We express our thankfulness for all that he has given to us in our tithes and our offering. We now use the terminology. We worship him in our tithes and offering because that's what it is. It's about a recognition that every good gift comes from above. We give not grudgingly. We, we don't give like somebody's got to pry this out of my hand. But I give freely because we can't outgive God. It's a recognition that every dollar I have, every cent I have, my house, every good thing that I have comes from God. And I'm just giving back a, a portion of what he's given me. If I don't come with that heart or that attitude, giving takes on a burden. Then it's a duty. It's an obligation as opposed to a joy. Listening to God's word then becomes an opportunity to appropriate God's truth. Then it becomes an opportunity to to learn it a little bit better, to understand it in a more significant way, to listen for a tidbit that's going to help me this week. And also, an open heart and mind that says, I'm going to respond to God's word. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to try to do it this week. Because I want to please and I want to honor him. And when we have given in that fashion, when we have prayed in that fashion, when we have heard the word of God in that fashion, we've celebrated the Lord's Day. And that's what he wants from us. To celebrate all that Jesus has given to us. The rest that he provides and the rest that he alone can provide. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Let's pray. Our Father... We pray this morning for rest of heart, soul, and mind. Lord, we are a weary people. Work is hard. Life is tough. And there may be people here that are just physically worn out. 
Others who are just at emotional wit's end. Finding it difficult to keep it together. Crying one moment, laughing the next. Just emotionally drained, finding it difficult to listen to the kids and not lose one's temper with other people. Some are spiritually tired. They're, they're, they're frustrated with teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, mowing the lawn, pushing on out of a sense of duty and obligation. I should do this. I feel like I've got to do this. I committed myself to this. I signed up for this. But deep down inside, just regretting the fact that I did. I wish I could stay home. Oh, Lord, renew us spiritually that we don't serve you out of a sense of duty or obligation, but freely, willingly, lovingly, out of a true heart of thankfulness for what you have done for us. A recognition of the freedom that we enjoy in Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven not because of the things that we do, but because of the things that Christ has done for us. And our relationship with you doesn't stand on these outward externals. It's it's a matter of the heart. So, Lord, refresh us today. Thank you for the opportunity of being in your house to worship you. Thank you for other opportunities you have provided for us tonight to hear from your word, to give, to rejoice, to celebrate, to be with others, to sing your praises. Oh, Lord, thank you for the rest that is ours in the person of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.